angels like Betty Davis, James Dean, and Gable. Never know what she means to me. I feel for the girl that's on TV. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. The podcast of a girl who fantasizes about Prince Harry singing that very song you just heard. LFO's 1999 hit, Girl on TV, sung for and to Jennifer Love Hewitt. I fantasize about Prince Harry singing that song to Meghan Markle at their royal wedding reception. Why? Because I believe Harry did fall in love with the girl on TV. I don't believe for a second that he didn't watch Suits and she wasn't somewhat handpicked. I don't believe for a second she hasn't been watching him her whole life. She kind of fell in love with the boy on TV. You know, I don't believe for a second that anybody that has access to a reservoir of information about somebody they are dating, courting, however casual, wouldn't absolutely submerge themselves in publicly available information about their paramour. I don't care if you're a prince that has uh, allegedly has better things to do than watch six seasons of a cable legal drama. I don't care if you're Brittany Cartwright, who swears she's never seen an episode of Vanderpump Rules, despite having singled out Jax at a Vegas bar, gets in a relationship with them, moves to LA to get on the show, then gets her family a spinoff show and continues to stay with him so she'll stay on the show despite him cheating on her constantly with every sir hostess, his therapist, his Reiki master, whoever. That is not the plight of a woman who knows nothing about reality TV. I think any warm-blooded human, on TV or not, stalks and familiarizes themselves with their prospective lover's background information, or in this case, body of work or content. And yes, I do hate the word lovers, too. Quote Liz Lemon, the only place the word lovers belongs is between the words meat and pizza. Anyway, when you think about it, isn't it kind of offensive of Harry to be engaged to a woman and neglect to have watched her life's greatest work thus far? I would think Megan's not ashamed of that role. That was her biggest break. And I don't know, for Harry to, in the, their engagement interview, to be like, nah, never seen Suits. Pretty busy. Um, I'm more of a TNT guy. The character's unwelcome, clearly for Prince Harry. And not to mention, Megan, in that same interview, was like, oh, well, when my friend said that she wanted to set me up with a prominent redhead from the UK who has a tendency to sport Prince Charming-style military regalia and happens to live in Kensington Palace and whose grandma has many parades dedicated to her name, I thought, who could that be? For I'm from the small town of Los Angeles and I'm not familiar with the royals. And I was like, okay. Come on, Megan. My point is that famous people have the luxury of having access to a lot of data about the people that they are dating. And it is such BS for anybody to claim they have not stalked the stock. To claim he and she did not fall in love with the person that they saw on TV and really started from scratch. They should be grateful for their position because the rest of us peasants are, are left scrounging the internet for information about the people we're about to go on a date with or just started dating. We're left having to open new incognito tabs and Google different combinations of first and middle and last names and hometowns and occupations. We're left having to pray the person doesn't have a subscription to LinkedIn Premium. God forbid they ever saw that we viewed their profile and got a specific email just to warn them of that. Or worse, what if they're an avid user? of Google Plus. The absolute best is when somebody has a unique name and you can even find newspaper clippings from high school sports. Perhaps their track and field PR, hopefully from their 100 meters sprint and not 
you know, God forbid they did cross country. I don't want to be your running buddy. I don't want to train for marathons with you. I, I believe true love is never asking somebody to do a 5k with you on a Saturday morning. We're left staring at profile photos and wondering if the woman in his photo from 2015 is his sister, his best friend, or his ex-girlfriend. And frankly, all three scenarios concern me equally. Because if it's his sister, she looks intimidating. Will she like me? She could debatably be my age. Oh my gosh, are they twins? Is he a carrier for multiples? I'm not on the market for more than one at a time. If it's his quote-unquote best friend. I mean, in my experience, platonic besties definitely hooked up at one point, and one party still harbors all-consuming feelings for the other party, and will make your life torture by being suspiciously close to them. And if it is his ex-girlfriend, you just gotta hope she's still tagged in the photo, because you're in for a treat. You can spend the whole night uh, learning everything about her, start to finish, top to bottom, even though it was three years ago and it actually doesn't matter. It's just good to do your research, good to do your due diligence. And, you know, obviously I'm kidding about the ex-girlfriend and the excessive stalking, but the part I am serious about is that I believe it is your right and it is important to prioritize your safety and to just do a basic background check on anybody you're about to go out on a date with especially if they're a stranger and especially if you have no mutual friends because I get the argument that mystery is important and there's a certain mystique going into a first date when everything you're hearing is for the very first time but you know what's even better than romance Hmm. not getting murdered so just some food for thought, and I, I'm sorry if that was harsh. And I'm not lecturing anybody from a place of personal experience or wisdom. I simply just listen to true crime podcasts. And if you, I would suggest you listen to Dirty John. I would suggest you watch the Lifetime original movie, The Craigslist Killer. And notice that in these types of scenarios, both of which based on a true story, These men are sociopaths that are almost so polished and so put together and have the perfect excuse for everything that nothing they say or do ever warrants a reason to look deeper. But I always, always look deeper. But back to the um, photos, what I do think is really interesting about the current dating climate is that because I think a lot of men don't update their profile pictures a lot, they only have like five photos from like 2010 to now. So you're left wondering what they actually look like. But I've got to say, my favorite part of doing, of observing this with my friends is the game of poorly dressed or theme party. It is really hard to discern between the two in a lot of these guys' photos and I just think if jorts are, you know, a wardrobe staple of yours, that's fine. But I, I, you know, you deserve to know in advance. Moral of the story, don't let anybody ever tell you you're crazy or stalkerish for doing, you know, a little FBI work. You, you don't even want to know the type of stuff I dig up or try to dig up about anybody my sister goes out with. If, if you have a criminal record, a mugshot, if you have so much as a traffic violation, I will find you. I will read court dockets. I will read any public record I can get my hands on to make sure that if there is anything you have done worse than roll a stop sign that you have not been fully transparent about, you will not stand a chance with my sweet, kind unicorn of a human, beautiful sister. That, if anybody has a really upstanding brother or friend ages perhaps 32 to 45 that I could set her up with, please.
please direct message me. I, I just think we have a real opportunity to potentially have a real sleepless in Seattle situation on these here airwaves, and I'd be remiss not to throw that out there. And she, in fact, does not need or want me to do any of this digging. I just am, in fact, crazy and take it upon myself. So don't worry about that piece. And also, if she's listening, hi, nothing to see here. Just doing my podcast. Don't worry about it. Okay, back on topic. So, yes, I think it's total BS that Harry's never seen Megan on TV in either Suits or the Hallmark Channel or on Deal or No Deal holding briefcase 23. I would just love it if he sang girl on TV. I think, you know, even though the royal wedding is a classy affair, I think I just selfishly want somebody to go on stage and serenade their bride and mutter the words in some context, shooby-doo-wop and scooby snacks, much like the song girl on TV does. Oh, and what I actually thought was really interesting when I was on LFO's Wikipedia page that Rich Cronin, the blonde guy from LFO, who actually passed away from leukemia in 2010, super sad, his brother also managed the pop group O-Town, which is fascinating for a number of reasons. Well, I guess I, I, I should start by saying I think there's tiers of boy bands. There, there's the big, the big two. And I'd maybe throw 98 Degrees in there. You know, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees kind of in the middle. And then there's this like layer of boy bands that are all, you know, one, two, and three hit wonders that I get so confused. They, 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 there's your soul decisions, your LFOs, your O-Towns, your take that, your BB Max. I don't know if it's dangerous to throw Evan and Sharon in there. There's the, your fives, as we listened to in the first episode. They're, these are hard to keep track of. And O-Town and LFO, I think, are perhaps for me the two most easily transposed Real quick, though, on the note about, you know, the, the A-team of boy bands, I'm sure you're dying to know. I am Team Backstreet. They were pioneers, I think, and now it's hard to talk about them like the way I felt about them when I was, you know, 13, because collectively they have not aged well, and I would say NSYNC as a whole aged better. Well, I guess just Justin Timberlake aged better. Actually, of those two bands, Justin Timberlake is kind of the only one that's really come out on top, aside from Joey Fatone and Nick Carter's stints on Dancing with the Stars. And I think Brian Luttrell maybe did it too. Oh, and <laughs> Nick Andrew Lachey have also been on Dancing with the Stars. What the hell? What, what, justice for Jeff Timmons. Why hasn't he been invited? I guess I would just say that Backstreet Boys music, to me, is far superior. But I wasn't going to be culturally illiterate. I, I still got every NSYNC album. I begged my mom to take me out of school at lunchtime to go wait in line at the store for the No Strings Attached album. And she said no, and I absolutely raged for days. And it came from a place of that imminent fear of sellout. Do you remember that? I mean, now you can stream whatever the hell you want. But back then, if you weren't in line in a timely manner, you were, were out of luck. You were then stuck going to the Barnes & Noble, listening to demo tapes, where you could only listen to part of the song with the headphones that were attached to the kiosk. That is dark stuff, when you cannot get the album yourself, period, and you can only then listen at the Barnes & Noble and not even to the full song. But you know what, that's actually kind of a charming time in life now that I think about it. When patience was really a virtue, when the only cure for me when I was feeling blue was to hope somebody could give me a ride to the Barnes & Noble or the Borders Books and Music, and I could go to the kiosk and listen to a monster love ballad by the Backstreet Boys. Forget As Long As You Love Me. Forget I Want It That Way. Forget everybody. Forget Backstreet's Back. 
I love their, I'm going to say, you know what, this, this, is, this isn't popular. This is their later stuff. I'm going to say my favorite song of the Backstreet Boys is Drowning. And, you know, I heard it this summer in person. And it was a spiritual experience. I think I cried a little. Is there something about hearing the songs that have meant a lot to you throughout your life? live. I feel I felt similarly about the Britney Spears piece of me Vegas residency. And you know, I'm not going to use the word basic because again, popular stuff. That's it's popular for a reason. Let's not be condescending. And I know it sounds very common for a, a gal to go to Vegas for her bachelorette party and uh, go see Britney Spears. But you know what? I had a great time. I couldn't recommend it more. Celine Dion, I don't recommend because people sit down during the performance. Have you ever tried to sit down and keep your arms and your hands to yourself listening to the power of love? Can you imagine hearing, because I'm your lady and you are my man, or it's all coming back to me live, and having to sit there? Oh my God, it, that, it, that, that really frustrated me. We're not at the opera. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Drowning, I think, is one of the best. It weirdly sounds identical to O-Town's All or Nothing, another fantastic song, both of which I really just identified with. And Drowning, too, actually, what made me initially think about it is because I was watching the Oscars last night, and I, The Shape of Water won so many awards that I was like, oh, this must be about a hot-button issue. This must be something that's going on in our climate that is deeply meaningful to a lot of people, because typically those are the types of movies that win. And upon a, a couple hours last night before I went to bed of research and reading plot lines and doing everything I could to not have to see the movie because I will not watch anything adjacent to fantasy. I found out that it is indeed just a movie about a woman who falls in love with a fish. And call me crazy, but that is exactly the plotline of the 13th year, which I mentioned two episodes ago, where a 13-year-old boy slowly transitions to a merman and starts to grow scales. And yeah, no, these aren't the exact same stories, but it's not that far off. So uh, excuse me for being slightly confused as to why this film is considered the finest of the year over Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, Dunkirk, uh, some of the, the, the heavy hitters this year. I, I, I don't get it. Uh, truly, in, as the Oscars went on, they kept showing clips of The Shape of Water. And with every gross webbed foot that came out of the water, every slimy view of this fish man, I, it was just talking me out of seeing the movie more and more and more. And I just don't understand why like a sci-fi fantasy movie to come the big award. It's beyond my understanding. But also it was beyond my understanding when La La Land won because I didn't think La La Land was that good. <laughs> I thought it was really cheesy and I still to this day don't understand why people are obsessed with it. Beyond I am impressed artistically that it, it was a one take type of film. And I guess fortunately or unfortunately, they didn't actually win Moonlight One. And that was also like a really exciting blunder last year. And this year, there was kind of an awkward moment where somebody from The Shape of Water was trying to give a speech. And then Jimmy Kimmel came out and like tried to make the jet ski a thing. And then the guy was still half talking. And it, it was it was so it was so cringe-tastic. Why do they always have to end so weirdly? And it ended like 30 minutes late. I wish they would just cut out the commercials and cut out the dumb montages and let people speak, let them have their moment in the spotlight and wrap it up at a reasonable hour. I mean, it, it, it is torture. I actually stopped halfway through, watched the majority of Pitch Perfect 3, and then turned the Oscars back on and felt like I barely missed a beat. Let's see, where was I? Ah, okay, yes, Drowning, Fishman. Drowning and All or Nothing by 
O-Town. I think they both spoke to me because, I don't know, they're both kind of about unrequited love. The unrequited love, the cruelest kind, the, the kind that almost kills its victims name that movie. Uh, you know, as I've mentioned, I, I had a bit of a melancholic disposition at times during my youth, often because of heartbreak or, you know, I think I just always either dated my friends who could never not see me as their friend, or I just dated total jerks. And that that can be very hard on a young soul with a lot of feelings, as you may have noticed I have. And so I'd, you know, listen to these love songs that didn't help my case at all. And I'd just be like, is it all? Or are we just friends? Is this how it ends with a simple telephone call? You leave me here with nothing at all. Except in this scenario, by telephone call, I mean AOL instant message. I remember so vividly sitting at my desktop in my childhood home and sending a very brave instant message to my crush. And then I would minimize the IM window because that way I had a buffer between me and the message that once the minimize win window started to blink and I knew somebody responded, I could take a deep breath and prepare myself in the event that the message was not what I what I wanted to see. And, you know, typically they went unanswered. Uh, you know what they say, a watched minimized window never boils. It, it would never blink. But I, instead of blaming it on me not being liked, would blame it on my brother who would say he needed to use the computer for homework when I knew he was just going to IM people too. I mean, this was a time when... There was only one phone line. So with dial-up, you had to choose between being online and somebody talking on the phone. And if, and if anybody in my household needed to use the phone, I was outraged. I mean, because I needed to be there in real time to hear that opening door noise when somebody signed on and that shutting door noise when somebody logged off. And, you know, the, there, was, there was a special form of torture that evolved once you had the abil ability to see if people were online but idle, and then you'd message them something that you were really nervous about, and then they'd come back from idle and still not respond, but you could still tell yourself, like, oh, maybe their dad logged on the computer and doesn't know he's on AIM. <sighs> It was a tough time. Though those noises, the the door opening, the door shutting, and the the ding or the bell of a new message, it's it's a true melody of anxiety for me to this day. I'm gonna actually I'm gonna get it on YouTube and play it because, well, to quote the Dixie Chicks, "If I fall, you're going down with me." If I want to know if this evokes a reaction for any of you as well. And yes, I did that door slamming sign-off noise one last time just to really make it sting because was there any worse sound than your crush signing off without notice? And I guess what's funny now that I think about it is those elements of sus suspense never went away. They just evolve as technology evolves. So when you think about it, it started with signing on and hearing you've got mail, and then it went to those IMing sounds. And then I would say it kind of went to like my BlackBerry, the first smartphone I ever had and the blinking red light. And I remember being at work or, you know, being out and pretending to be paying attention, just looking out of the corner of my eye to see that red light blink. And therefore I would know it was a green light that I was not in fact being ghosted. And somebody had texted me back <laughs> or like BBMing was so huge then. I guess following the red light, it became 
vibrate in the pocket. You know, when you're like sitting down and you're waiting to hear somebody to the point of where you're like bordering on nausea and you start to have phantom vibrations in your pocket and your phone's like not even in your pocket. You want to check it really badly, but it's kind of rude and you're in an intense conversation. So you have to pretend you have to go to the bathroom to check it. But before you go to the bathroom, you have to figure out how to get your phone in your pocket or in your purse subtly so as not to make it obvious that you don't have to go to the bathroom, but you just really want to check your phone. Anyone else do that? Bueller? No? Okay. Oh my goodness. Back on topic. This entire episode's like a, a, just a giant arc about LFO and O-Town with random thoughts peppered in between. You know what? At this point, I'm just going to go with it. I still have more to say, somehow. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but didn't explain why I thought it was interesting. Rich Cronin of LFO, the late great Rich Cronin's brother, also managed O-Town. And what is funny to me about this is there's a clear shtick that this guy has in that they both bands would make th- their lyrics were really weird non sequiturs and or pop cultural references embedded in the songs that were like pretty unusual for the time. So like Summer Girls by LFO had New Kids on the Block had a bunch of hits. It had New Edition. It had Michael J. Fox, Alex P. Keaton. It had Larry Bird, Jersey 33. It had so many references. And then O-Town's Liquid Dreams. We all know the chorus went, I dream about a girl that's a mix of Destiny's Child, just a little touch of Madonna's wild style with Janet Jackson's smile. Throw in a body like Jennifer. You are the star of my liquid dreams pretty gross. And I assume they mean Jennifer Lopez, but the famous green Versace dress at the Grammys when she was with P. Diddy wasn't until 2001, I don't think. So I guess she was a mega hottie before then. I thought the green dress was her breakout moment, or maybe that was just the moment that all of our standards for skin exposure just absolutely plummeted. Because now if I saw somebody wearing that Versace dress, I'd be like, could you be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> it's just like, Par for the course. Like, oh, is that a, is that a caftan? Is that a Versace Moomoo? That the, a, a plunging V in a high slit is like a Kendall Jenner Tuesday. So then I ventured over to O-Town's Wikipedia page, and I was disappointed and frustrated to find out that in 2013, the band reunited as a quartet, but Ashley Parker Angel declined to join the reunion and declined to tour. And granted, I know he did break off as a solo artist and I do remember him opening for Ashley Simpson because yes I went to an Ashley Simpson concert her music you know it it was I have to say it was pretty good that autobiography album I mean she couldn't sing at all but it was produced really well and it really captured this angsty time in the zeitgeist where you know emo was really popular and then Ashley came with that like Helmody Bang, partial Carol Brady, partial Pete Wentz type haircut. And she had that reality show in that sad Calabasas apartment. I mean, sad relative to Jessica's uh, mansion with her then boyfriend, Ryan Cabrera, who was probably in the prime of his career at that point, living in that sad Calabasas apartment. He had his hit single, On the Way Down. He was rocking that hairstyle that, you know, I guess was finger in a light socket chic, but I don't really think the ladies were feeling it, except for Audrina Patridge, who did date him after Ashley Simpson. And this is before, no, this is after Audrina dated Justin Bobby, but before the father of her child. Okay, Audrina, even though she always looks like a little dead in the eyes or like she's looking right above your forehead, 
She is so beautiful. I always thought she was so like underrated on the hills. And I, I always feared for her self-esteem because I couldn't figure out why she was with Justin Bobby on the hills when he was such a jerk. Come to find out. I listened to an interview with him on a podcast recently, and he says, we all know it's fake now, but I thought some of it was like a little real. But apparently the, that production just saw him in the lobby of the record company where Audrina worked and like handpicked him and were like, you look like a bad boy. And that the, the reason he did the Justin Bobby thing was because he didn't really like want to be on the show. So he just wanted to have like a pseudonym or a separate name so it wouldn't be associated with him professionally. But, you know, little did he know he would become like the most infamous character mostly because that name is so stupid. His name's Robert. And if it was like, oh, Audrina and Robert, we'd be like, Meh. but like Justin Bobby. <laughs> Part of the draw was that he was a guy that took himself so seriously and he was such a hard ass with a name like Justin Bobby. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that was on my short list of names for Tugboat. Um, I thought Justin Bobby would be like a hilarious dog name. You're welcome to take it, anyone that's out there, because I still think that it's a name that most people would recognize and really appreciate, especially if your dog had kind of like long hair, wore leather, and um, didn't ever call you back. So yeah, <laughs> what I was talking about was that Ashley Parker Angel broke off from O-Town. He didn't go on the reunion tour, which... It's like, okay, come on, APA. What have you really got going on? It's 2013. I think your best bet would be to stick to your roots and go out with the band. I mean, Dream Concert, O-Town Headlines, Danity Kane opens, both winners of Making the Band. Aubrey O'Day, I remember watching Making the Band, and she was so cute. She had that whole Christina Aguilera petite long torso, tiny waist vibe that I was very envious of because... There's no separation between where my legs stop and my ribs start. I haven't seen her in the news, in a really, the news, in Daily Mail in a really long time. Last I recall, she was kind of spiraling. Mm, hope all is well. Anyway, I was frustrated to find that APA ditched his bandmates. They now tour as a quartet. APA is definitely the most recognizable member and could help them with ticket sales. And I was like, what have you been doing like the past decade? That's so important. You can't go on this tour. And when I asked myself this question, I immediately regretted it. Why? Because I found out that the really the last thing he did with his career was a movie in 2011, a super a family superhero film called Pizza Man, which then is followed by one of the more bleak sentences I've ever read. Well, today. It reads that Pizza Man, starring one Frankie Muniz, was set for theatrical release in 2011, but was later only released direct to DVD in 2014. That's tough stuff. Not only <laughs> did it not make it to theaters, then, you know, it's not that uncommon to go direct to DVD, but to be so bad that you were stuck in the queue for three years before you go straight to DVD is just another level. So I'm going to venture to guess he did not play his cards right, and he should have stuck with O-Town. Ironically, in leaving the band, he went for all or nothing, and he got nothing. Oof, how far in are we? I think we're at a half hour. You know, direct-to-DVD is a pretty dark place to, to come back from. And, you know, I'd argue that going from a national cable primetime TV show to a direct-to-DVD movie is the career equivalent of going from first in line at the music store at lunch to having to listen to demo tapes at the kiosk with the attached headphones at the Barnes & Noble listening to music ad hoc 
over and over and over the same 30 seconds of just the chorus in the bridge. So, you know, tough stuff. RIP Ashley Parker Angel's career. I say this, but I actually just sat here for a while and thought about what an interesting dilemma this is for everybody, famous or not, regardless of your vocation, you at some point come to a crossroads. And I guess for famous people, it's kind of the idea of how do you know when your star is still rising versus when it's your moment in the sun? You know what I mean? And I guess this really applies to anything when you actually are in a good place and you've gotten to the place that you ultimately wanted to be in and it just becomes a new normal. So what do you do if something else comes along? Do you hedge your bets in search of a better offer when you've exceeded your own expectations and almost keep raising your own self-sabotaging bar of what success means to you? How far do you push it? to the point where it will no longer pay off, to the point where you would have been better off being satisfied. Would Ashley Parker Angel have been better off being satisfied because he tried his acting career, but it didn't pay off. He didn't hedge his bets well, that he should have stuck with what he knew. I just think the whole concept of satisfaction and success is fascinating. It's one of the reasons I'm so obsessed with the analysis of the musical Hamilton, because satisfaction is a major theme that is worth exploring in the context of a founding father or within yourself. Oh my gosh, I could go so far into Hamilton. I I can't. Anyway, I think this is why people like motivational speakers, life coaches, Tony Robbins, they are always saying success doesn't make you happy. Progress makes you happy. And I think even the notion of progress is an interesting thing to explore because I would argue that Progress has less to do with the stepping stones relevant to one specific goal and more so just a person's ability to be present and acknowledge that in each phase of your life, there is a valuable evolution happening that is getting you to where you're ultimately supposed to go. And I find that so many people I talk to, I think I I have one of the best parts about the position I'm in is I feel like I get to have meaningful conversations with people about what they want to do with their lives because for some reason or the other, uh, people think entrepreneurs are somewhat inspirational, even though I'll be the first to tell you. It's different uh, than what it may seem on the surface. However, I feel like in some of these conversations, one of the big themes I notice is that people hold themselves hostage to goals they made out of context when they were a lot younger, before they could consider nuance, before they could consider circumstance. Just, they make goals like I will be married by X, I will have kids by X, I will start my own business by X, my career should be this place by when I'm 30. And then they feel so badly about not being in the place that they thought they would be a long time ago when the reality is 22 year old you didn't know what 30 year old you needed. And you have to remember that at each point in your life, you've always been doing what was the best for you at that time, that past you and future you couldn't have known. And I just don't think people give themselves enough grace to evolve and to change their goals and to change their idea of success. And I think for a lot of people that are type A and very organized and are are very into planning, five-year plans mean a lot to them. But I don't, I I can't believe in them. I never have. I I believe in short-term one to maybe three year goals, because I think that sometimes you don't let yourself change your mind. 
I think people come from a place too often of thinking that any progress they've made toward a goal that they realize they don't want anymore is a sunk cost. And that unless they keep going, they'll have wasted a lot of time. And that's just not true. Because I guarantee you there's been growth in your skills, there's been growth in experience, and there's many linear metrics that would prove otherwise that you have not wasted your time. What you are probably perceiving as a sunk cost is success in a commensurate form, which is just a perception and not an actual measurable reality, if that makes sense. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but you know, I guess I get frustrated when such amazing people with such potential or who have so much to offer are down on themselves or thinking they failed because as if they're some of a victim of an external force that is telling them where they should be and when at what point in their life when that's just it's not true. It doesn't exist. And yes, it may exist among people around you and there will be a lot of people telling that you that you should do X, Y, and Z by a certain time and be pressuring you. But that is noise you inevitably just have to cut out. You have to make the choice that those rules and those standards do not exist within your headspace, within your yardstick of how you view your life or measure progress or your self-worth. And I can absolutely understand what it feels like when everybody around you is doing something and you're not and you want to be. I I mean, I was engaged. I, I was uh, dating my husband, now husband, for over five years before we got engaged. And years three through five, were all, I hated even leaving the house because all anybody asked me is when I was getting engaged. And I, A, none of your beeswax. B, if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. And see, I don't want to know because I'm trying to not take that away from him and be surprised. I am just trusting that that is where we are headed. And I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have a pretty long period of time where I was like, oh my gosh. Like, we, we, I mean, we went to Europe. We were on boats. I was like, come on, buddy. Let's, let's, let's get to stepping. It's a stressful existence when you vaguely talked about it and then for years you feel like you need to do full hair and makeup and have a manicure just in case it's coming and you don't want to look or feel like total garbage. But then, you know, with every shoe tie, with every sports game where I was just absolutely horrified that he would think it would be funny to ask me on the Jumbotron. <laughs> it's not an ideal situation, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. it it's, it, everything's charming in retrospect, right? But I I guess what that taught me is that when you want something to happen so badly, then all of a sudden it happens and like nobody cares and they're on to the next thing. (laughs) So you can't worry about what other people are saying or thinking. It just kind of never ends. And my point is just always remember that the one fixed thing in life is that everyone around you will probably be never satisfied with where you are and they'll probably just be making conversation and trying to understand where you're going next or what you've accomplished, if anything, in effort to make sure that they're doing okay. You know how when you hear somebody dies young, the first thing you want to ask is like, oh, how'd they die? Because you want to know if like you could die young as well. I think that honestly, people ask these pointed questions about your like progress in life or your career relationship status because 
they either want to feel better about themselves or they too are struggling or they maybe just come are coming from a really good place and want to make conversation. But regardless, you control the narrative and more importantly, way more importantly, you control how you view your situation. Never forget that the beginning is a really beautiful place to be. There is something really great when you still are are kind of in such an abyss that you don't even know the great things that are coming your way. Eventually, whatever place you're in, you'll, you'll completely turn it on its head and you'll be the one in the more desirable position because that's, how, that's just how things ebb and flow. Your time is coming. Your moment in the sun is coming. And unlike Ashley Parker Angel, you won't, make, you won't have a pizza man. Pizza man was a, was a tough situation, but I think it illustrates my point that even though Ashley Parker Angel's career RIP'd, he had a son in 2005 named Lyric, who was only 13 and already had a prominent role in American Horror Story. So it's kind of interesting that he maybe couldn't make it work, but maybe his heart wasn't in it and he was able to, you know, channel his energy and his advice into his perhaps talented offspring who might have a very fruitful career. So you just never know what's coming. You will have it all, not nothing at all. It is not as black and white as O-Town might suggest. It is, but it is a little bit more black and white in terms of if you like this podcast or not. And then I do still need you to subscribe and rate and review. Rating is just tapping the stars. Reviewing is writing the text. Sometimes you have to submit it several times over. Don't know what's going on with the podcast app, but I would so, so, so appreciate your feedback. It is helpful for me to know. Are you all in? Are you at the bottom? It's now or never. Everything, all roads lead back to O-Town. So with that, I should leave you. We're, pre- we're pretty far into this podcast, and uh, I hope you're still here, and I hope you're still enjoying yourself, and you don't mind my tangents, because you have no idea what this does for my soul. You, my friends, are doing more for me in just downloading this and listening and caring than you will ever know. So thank you so, so much. And with that, as always... Let me know your thoughts, and I will most certainly let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear.